Welcome to Tree Talking Time, where we talk all things tree dogs. From the smallest feists to the largest hounds, drink squirrels to bears and everything in between. And from time to time, we might even run a little fast game. Wouldn't mind owning a dog like that again, but serving an arm in the 101st Airborne recovered at Wall Street Medical Center. Definitely the biggest mountain lion I've ever seen. I'm here tonight with my buddy Brian Messersmith. How you doing tonight, Brian? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm pretty good. Brian is an avid bobcat lion and bear hunter up in the northern panhandle of Idaho. He runs mostly red bones, a couple other crossbred hounds. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're running these days, Brian? Yeah, yeah, uh, you're right on point with that. Uh, I I do mo- have mostly uh, purebred red bones, and then I got a few other dogs that are like a Walker red tick cross and a, a red bone blue tick cross. But uh, I'm not, yeah, definitely not opposed to to any one breed. But I I just have a special spot for red bones when I started getting into running them. So you're about ready to start your hunting season because you've been guiding now the last couple of years. So you're about ready to get started with that. What's your season look like? Yeah. Um, so as far as the, the hounds go, I guide during spring bear season and I guide in the winter time on cats. And um, this that's around the Hell's Canyon area of Idaho. Um, between the Snake and Salmon River. Uh, in the fall, we do have a bear hunt that goes on, and um, I'm actually not doing that right now because I had already uh, started doing previously wilderness elk hunts. So uh, this fall, here, here at the end of August, I'll head over there and start packing in with horses and mules and guiding elk hunts during archery and rifle season so it should be pretty fun but by the end of that i'll definitely be looking forward to getting back with my dogs and and getting cat season rolling now i know you have a pretty sweet side-by-side setup you ever run your hounds with horses or mules i haven't done that uh i haven't done that yet it's something that i've uh, i've been intrigued by um i've seen a few guys that do it i i believe um an outfitter i bought my dog box from a few years ago cody henson i'm pretty sure he uses uh mules sometimes uh, i thought that'd be something great to do mm. I, I i've a few times tried uh going out with a boat i've taken a boat out and then done the whole just hunting off a of foot once i get to a spot okay and off a of foot and that that was a lot of fun but now is that hunting along a river or a lake or what yeah uh i launch off of a river and I drive across the river to to one of these small lakes. And I just go up to the base of the mountain and um, start just hiking around. Usually, in, in certain spots that I know the bears cross right really quick, it's uh, within a mile of hiking that the dogs strike and take one out. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. One of the locals uh, two years ago, him and I were hunting together, and he got a bear. <laughs> We're chasing the dogs all around the mountain. Fortunately, they have 
a lot of these old logging roads that there's no access because it's it's all gated and locked off so there's no access for vehicles but it did make walking for us a lot easier because we can hop on these old logging roads and just try and keep up with the hounds that way for a good portion of the hunt um he ended up taking a bear and it was a mile from the boat where he had gotten it so after that we packed it out and i believe i remember seeing pictures of that and like yeah you, yeah you post about that on facebook yeah i do have a picture uh, of that on my instagram okay uh, at the hound father yeah it was a pretty pretty interesting hunt that's for sure <laughs> I've been trying to convince my wife to let me get a mule, but coon hunt and bear hunt off of, but just the practicality side of it, it's really not there. Yeah. Don't really need one for where I hunt. Now, if I hunted with you, yeah. where you hunted, I'd probably get something. Yeah, there, there are some areas that it would be really cool. Um, Idaho is extremely diverse. Like, n- North Idaho is, I mean, really, really thick. A lot of woods. I mean, really thick but there's also a lot of roads because of the logging industry mm-hmm. so you can pretty much drive anywhere on a if, if you're bear hunting you know in a pickup or a four-wheeler especially if you have a four-wheeler for these smaller two-track roads yeah um and in the winter time either on side by side with tracks or a snowmobile or four-wheeler with tracks but uh then there's areas a few hours south of me that is completely different like the upper uh, the upper elevations are more wooded and then the lower elevations are more desert like um like when i was guiding there this spring uh, i saw probably in the one month like a dozen rattlesnakes Jeez. and we don't have any of those up, up here in north idaho so uh and then you get in other parts of idaho and it's like rolling hill kind of speed goat um from, yeah antelopes and stuff so it's a yeah, pretty pretty diverse. So you have all kinds of different hunting that you can do. Yeah, around here. We'll get into this a little bit later how we met, but um, you know where we where we coon hunted, where we would park at that one parking lot, and it went down that long. They had the road, and it went down to the lake. It was about a mile down to the lake. Yeah, then is that to where we climbed up a hill and then it dropped down? Yeah, well, that was on the on the other side of the lake, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Same yeah. same property, just opposite sides. But all that, you know, it's gated off to where you can't have vehicle access but that's why i kind of was like if i got a mule i could ride anywhere in there oh yeah yeah that'd be sweet it's fun i mean it's it's nice being able to access access yeah but uh this does make it difficult some people it's a lot easier to do uh especially if if you had access like out west to some of these ranches and stuff where there might not be many roads but there's uh a lot of riding that you can do and access that you can get into with a horseback would yeah be sweet <laughs> i just always thought it'd be cool I, I remember growing up and uh i knew somebody that coon hunted years ago and uh her and her you know, ex-husband and she showed me a lot of pictures of when they used to coon hunt off of mules and i always just thought it was the coolest thing so that's pretty cool yeah and they can definitely see better in the dark riding them in the dark than you can yeah I mean, yeah, they're amazing. I just saw, is that your mule that Colton was on? Uh, that that mule wasn't mine. Um, I, I had my horse the day before he was on. Okay. Colton was my son. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, yeah, that's a buddy's mule that I'll be taking with me while I'm guiding this fall. Good deal. Yep. 
So let's get into how we met. We met, what's it been now? I don't know. Probably four or five years well, ago. Well, uh, Charlie and Colton, they were I guess really be, young. <laughs> yeah, I guess it would have been like Col- four years ago because Charlie's four, four. And I don't think yeah, he was a year old. No, he wasn't. And and uh, Colton's five years old right now. And he was just really young. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely, I think, about, about four, four years, years ago. ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's pretty bad when you have to gauge it by your kid's age because you can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, a, that's the easiest way for me to remember. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll get on that. Um, so, basically, obviously, I live in Idaho. and, and you're over in Pennsylvania. Uh, how Ben and I met, I I was in the military for a while. I was serving in the Army in the 101st Airborne, and I ended up getting injured in Afghanistan in 2013. The first severe injury was on um, June 3rd of 2013 by a suicide bomber and a bullet to my helmet. And then I stayed overseas because of the amount of casualties we had uh and a month and a half later i was injured the second time and that was from a rocket that unfortunately went through my squad leader and into myself i had to relearn to walk and talk and do physical therapy and occupational therapy and recovered at walter reed medical center in bethesda maryland right by washington dc for 18 months and that's when i ended up meeting my wife she was working at a, a texas roadhouse as a waitress at the time and when i started being able to walk and everything um i, I wanted to get out a little bit and i ended up meeting my wife and we just kind of went on dates and stuff and once i moved back to idaho uh, we went and visited each other a few times and um, after we got married now we go to pennsylvania every year to uh to visit her side of the family her dad lives in Pennsylvania, and her mom and other family lives in New Jersey. So uh, one of the trips when I wanted to go to Pennsylvania, I thought I'd look on Facebook and try and find a local coon hunting club that would be around close to my father-in-law. And I met Ben on one of those uh, Facebook groups. Uh, is it called Berkshire Coon? Chester Burks Coon Hunters, yep. Yeah, Chester, yeah, Chester Burke Coon Hunter. So I met him on there, and uh, we talked a little bit, and he set me up with uh, the first time with uh, one of the members over there, and him and I went and hunted together. I think the first time was with Brian. I think you hunted with Webby and Whitey the first night. Yeah, Webby and Whitey. Yeah, you're right. Yep. So the first time I hunted uh, was with Webby and Whitey, and then uh, we went out with his dog able i had and um after that uh ben and i had linked up and we started going going uh you know pleasure coon hunting together and i went back the following year and we did some coon hunting again you haven't been back since no (laughs) it's it's unfortunately been a while uh the last time we were going to go back uh we're planning and that was at the start of the whole covid thing and Mm. So we didn't end up going back for that time. And then this year I wanted to go back, but, um, with guiding this, uh, guiding trip coming up and I wanted to make things easier on my wife for this winter. So, uh, I was selling some of the goats we had and cows, so she didn't have to deal with them 
while I was gone. Um, gotcha. Not only this winter, but also this fall season. Yeah. So I, I, she did fly back. My wife and son, they flew back and they spent two weeks over there. And I foresee in the future, we'll probably definitely at least be making one trip a year over there. Probably, hopefully more like two. Well, at the same point, when you came here four years ago, you had two hounds. <laughs> You've got a whole pack. Yeah. 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 You're right. Uh, I had. And you didn't have a farm either. I had Abel and I had Star. Star was really young. And mm-hmm. now, um, so after that, it would be it, when I started accumulating a lot, it would have been Abel, Star, and and Buck. I got Buck, which is Star's litter mate. I, I didn't get him until he was a year and a half old, and he had never been in the woods. Um, the person was supposed to hunt him, but he never ended up going in the woods. So the Abel, Star, Buck. And he, they're all finished. And then Annie, she's a pure red, red bone. And Arrow, That's he, he's a little bit, little bit younger. Yeah, pure red, red bone. And then Bocephus is my most recent one. And he's, uh, I think he's about six months old right now or okay. close to it. Is, is that your Annie pup? Uh, oh, and Pepper. Pepper is my Annie pup. Okay. So, yeah, so... Uh, Bocephus came out of, uh, my buddy, Sean Brophy and, uh, and our friend, Matt, they both have uh, really good red bones that they cross together. And I kept a male pup out of that. That's Bocephus. And then Pepper, um, is out of my Annie dog and, uh, Josh Haynes is he's in Montana out of his rooster dog. So okay. they, they made a good cross. Good deal. How old's Pepper now? Uh, she's under a year old. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking she was younger. But Yeah, she's uh I don't know, ten months somewhere around okay. there. Bocephus is like five or six months. I guess last time we talked to me it was in the spring and I, I think you were just about to get him. He was because he was like I don't know, two or three weeks old. Yeah. Cause for all you people listening, this is uh the second go round of this podcast because Brian was gracious enough to be my first podcast guest and i botched uh, the recording so this is uh 2.0 now uh four or five months later yeah that's right well when you went through your whole history of meeting your wife and how we met and everything i just want to say thank you for your service brian for everyone out there that's listening brian's a freaking beast and went through it a lot and he deserves way more thanks and applause and everything than i can ever just say but uh, just letting everybody, I mean, most people out there obviously don't realize that, but he, you've went through hell and back. You've showed me a lot of pictures, and we've talked a lot about your recovery and everything, and it's intense, and I, I couldn't even imagine going through what all you've been through. So I just really want to say thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I really I really appreciate that. I know uh, definitely things are with the, with the military. A lot more people are... Um, gracious of uh service members than than they used to be of course with the like how the vietnam veterans and mm-hmm. stuff were treated but there there still is a fair share of people that uh have, have no respect for anyone that's in the military and that's unfortunate oh I, absolutely so we i hunted a lot with your dog abel um if you don't mind i'd like to talk about abel a little bit because like i said he's the one i i really actually got to hunt with and you know, he was making a good coon dog in the, you know, two months you were here. 
Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll briefly go into a little bit of my history with, with hound hunting. But I, I've been into hound hunting for, uh, been interested in it since I was a kid. My uncle's always had hounds. And so I was always intrigued by hound hunting. And, and I've gone with um, my uncle a lot, my cousin. And um, I had another friend that I lived with for a while when I was in school. Um, and I had one of my own dogs, but mainly ran with other people and just a single dog that I had. But, uh, and then I joined, joined the military. So I got out of hounds for a while. And then when I got back into hounds, um, Abel was one of the first dogs I had gotten as a puppy. And I, I mean, I'm, when I put my mind to something, I'm, I'm like really serious about it. So it doesn't matter if I just had one dog, I was going to give that dog everything I have. So I got Abel and he, he was just a very, very good dog, extremely cold nose. He was half blue tick, half red bone, um, all the red in color, but, uh, and good medium speed dog, but he had an extremely cold nose on him. Uh, and before I came over there to Pennsylvania, you know, I hadn't really done much coon hunting with him because of the fact that we just don't have a lot of coons around here. So the first time when we were going to be going out, I, I did a little bit of coon drag training with him. And um, the first night I went out, I actually ended up tree and one i I remember um the guys i was with uh they thought maybe he was running a fox and i told him uh i'm not gonna say he's not you know he's still a young dog and and i can't say he's not i don't have fox over there you know to break him off of but uh he ended up trailing from where we were to the lake was quite a long ways and he went all the way to the lake and you still hear him opening up and He's not burning it, but he's really extremely cold trailing. And one of the other dogs went out with him and was like thinking, like, what's this dog doing? And, you know, it went and hunted its own. And Abel kept opening up. He got to the lake. He worked the edge of the lake. And, and he came all the way back around. And uh, and he ended up treeing it. And before that happened, I mentioned, I'm like, well, I mean, he is an extremely cold-nosed dog. And they're like thinking maybe possibly it was a it was a fox and I wasn't going to rule that out, but he showed up treed and we walked over to the tree and sure enough, he had a, he had a coon there. And like I said before, he wasn't, he's not a coon dog and he's just a good coon. I mean, he's a good pleasure dog. He'll definitely put coons up for you. But, uh, oh, yeah. I did a little bit of training and stuff with the dragon. I went out that, that first night and he, he put one up and that, that was awesome. They're like, I'll be damned. I guess he is a really cold-nosed dog, and I, from my understanding, um, most people in certain areas, like especially in the coon hunting world, from my understanding, they don't desire an extremely cold-nosed dog because of whether you're dealing with smaller chunks of land that you're hunting or private properties, and and uh, especially if you're competition hunting, like oh yeah, I, I, you you want them to bomb into the woods, hit that that hottest track, and put up as many coon in, in a certain period of time as possible and that's just not what abel is he took a very first track that he hit which just happened to be a super cold track and trailed it a long ways all the way to the water source and you know for a while and ended up putting it up though but now he made a good coon dog and like i said 
I remember opening night of our season. Me and you were hunting up on that, like you said, uh, where we park and go up that hill. I remember getting a phone call from one other guy that hunts around here. He's like, I see your truck, but that's not your dog. Unless you got a new dog. <laughs> he knew that my dog didn't have that big old ball mouth that Abel had. Oh, yeah. Big old train horn. <laughs> he did. He's like, your little yeah. cur dog definitely doesn't have that kind of mouth. What do you got up there? <laughs> it's like, oh, you like my new hound? <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, I mean, he's always been very solid. Uh, everything I, you know, he's totally finished. I mean, yeah, I would call him a finished coon dog. I wouldn't put him in a competition hunt, but he he would be a finished coon dog. You'd, if mm-hmm. you want to go coon hunting, you're going to put coons up. If I want to go bobcat hunting or bear hunting or lion hunting, he can do it all. Um, he treated the first bobcat by himself. He was almost eight months old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember no, he, was, he was, he was pretty young when you came here. He was maybe a little over a year, I guess. And you were yeah, telling me yeah. about his first cat season and yeah, how so well he had his had first done. cat season and, and, uh, it, and I, and I ran a decent amount with my cousin and I ran by myself too, but I, he was at, done his first bobcat at, at uh, seven and a half, almost eight months old, um, by himself, and he was under a decent amount of lions uh, that first season. And his first bear season, I had him on sixteen bears. At the time, I was running someone else's dogs because they were gone in another state. But uh, I knew I wasn't going to have those those dogs forever. So um, anytime I started a race, I always my goal was to always start with him. Like I didn't want to start with other dogs. I always wanted to start with him because I wanted him to be, um, like a dog that can do everything and doesn't depend on anyone else. So mm-hmm. I would, if I got a strike or something, or if I was turning loose off of bait or however I was doing it, I would always start the track with him and then I would kick other dogs in. Uh, but I had, I think his first season, uh, there were 16 bears and, a handful of them he treated, you know, solo by himself. Wow. And then there were Impressive. several of them that he treated with other dogs, but every single one of those bears, I, I started him on the track every time. Very cool. If you don't mind, I don't even know this. So, I mean, but I know you recently lost him. What ha- what happened there? Yeah. Um, not, not to get really into details, but, uh, yeah, I, I did, I did lose him under unfortunate circumstances uh he definitely gave it gave it his all uh i can't say for sure exactly what happened but i just know that when i showed up at the tree he was paralyzed and um there was a bear there he, he was he couldn't lift his head up or his body up or anything but he could he's still just looking his eyes up at that bear he couldn't bark or anything Wow. Uh, I, I packed him under my shoulders and got him off the mountain. Fortunately, I wasn't able to get him to the vet in time before he had passed in my lap. Hmm. Sorry to hear that. Like I said, he was a he was a great dog. Yeah he he was he was amazing. That's for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was always going to get back into hound hunting, but he definitely made it a lot easier for me to mm-hmm. do that. And uh, he was an outstanding dog, and I wouldn't mind owning a dog like that again i do have dogs that um i would like a person would consider higher power just because of 
their speed and how they do certain things. But uh, he had no quit in him. He had plenty of grit. Uh, you could put, you can run any game with him by himself. Bear doesn't matter, whatever. Uh, he would do everything by himself. And if it took all day, if it was one of them running bears sneakers on, he was going to stay on it all day. But uh, he's just not a super fast dog. And you get a strike. He, he, he you know, Cruz is pretty good, but he's just not bombing into the woods. Uh, but he was a very solid dog and, a, and an exceptionally good uh, pup trainer. I think... Uh, he was a year and a half old by the time he was training the, the first dog, the, the following dog that I got. And he mm-hmm. was yeah. maybe a year and a half old when he started training that dog. So he's trained pretty much most of the rest of the dogs that I have. I was very happy with him. Yeah, he was he was a nice, solid dog. That's for sure. I, I really enjoyed hunting with him. And I was definitely looking forward to, you know, some point getting out there and seeing him under a bear or a lion or whatever. I'm sad that I won't, won't be able to get to see that. Especially, yeah. you know, under uh, under the situation that, you know, in circumstances. Yeah. It's it's never easy losing a dog when they're younger. And he was. In their prime. Yeah, five, like five, year, five years mm-hmm. old, yeah. So now I got, I would call, uh, it's hard to say lead dog, you know, for, because if I have a dog, my, I could take any one of the dogs and I don't need what you would call a lead dog. I, I wouldn't need uh, to have any to start a track i could leave her at home and i could just run a bear with most of the other dogs by themselves unless it's of course bocephus who hasn't been trained yet but even arrow this was his first bear season and this past winter was his first cat season so he had a cat season and then he had a bear season and he's turning out to be a very fine dog and, uh, and i'm i know i can go out with him by himself and uh tree a bear by himself or tree a cat by himself and he is he's over a little over a year old yeah but with with that said annie yeah is the dog that i would say is like my all-star exactly she's the best dog i personally ever had and she just she does everything so does the other dog but she just does it to a different caliber i've struck you know bobcats when i'm bear hunting before and you know pretty quick when you're in a bobcat race if you just take a glance at your gps and see what kind of maneuvers and loops and all the stuff that it's doing it's like yeah this is a this is a bobcat race but um that happened a time or two she she puts up and she's really good on bobcats you know if i put her on a bobcat track in the winter time she does extremely well she's really accurate she's got a solid amount of speed she um and uh she just does everything really well and if there's a little bit of a you know loss she's a lot quicker to to figure something out and cliffs or whatever it is she's just very solid very accurate and does everything exceptionally well so yeah she would be you know the top dog Mm -hmm. i remember you telling me a story like how she treed hours before everything else (laughs) yeah that that was this this uh past cat season Actually, um, so there, there was this, this big Tom that, uh, I had seen once earlier this season. I saw his track and I turned loose on him and they trailed him from, from where it was. And they, they headed over across this creek and went up and 
I watched them go across this big open hillside. Well, by this time, they were on on this private land that we wouldn't be able to harvest anything off of. And I looked about 400-something yards in front of them. I was just standing that hillside. It's a lot more open country than it is in North Idaho. And uh, they were trailing along, barking. And on that side of the hill, there wasn't any snow. So they came from snow to no snow. And they were, they were barking. And I looked, looked for like 400 yards in front of them. And here comes a, a mountain lion that was bedded down under this tree. And it popped up. And it, it just bailed off the other side of the ridge. And I was like, oh, shoot. Like, like now, you know, they're well within that ranch. And if they get to that spot where that mountain lion was bedded down and it's jumped, there, there's going to be no calling them off. So I better start calling them right now. So I was a thousand yards away from them. And I started calling them. Uh, back across to me and i got him to come all the way to me and i i tried to find that that cat's track for multiple times throughout the season but uh the cards you know it just didn't play out right for a while he he was either staying on the ranch or he was somewhere else so when i drove through that area i wasn't seeing his track i'd hunted a different area a different unit um the one of the days and um I ran into a local at the gas station and he told me after I hunted that area, he told me uh, where he had found a mountain lion track and where he had described it was a spot that 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 Tom had crossed like a month before. So uh, I I was like, oh, shoot, I missed it, you know, because I had already wasted. I mean, you spent that whole day hunting in a different area and I could have been over there had i gone there i could have turned loose on that nice fresh track so the next day i decided to go back to that area go right to where he said he saw the track and i was hoping maybe he'd cut back out and i would find the fresh end of the track and i didn't i just found that that same old track that that person had spotted the day before and i turned loose on it um the reason i did it i know a lot of people that would just pass up a track that looked like that and just and and I always tell my clients, you know, I'm just gonna put the dog down and let the dog tell me if they if they're capable of taking it. There's no sense in uh, passing up a track because you think the dogs can't take it, versus just putting them down and see if they're if they if they don't take it, you know, just move on and try and find another track. So I put them down, and we're we're in a little bit of snow on our side, but right when you get down to the bottom of the straw. And right when they cross that draw immediately, there's no snow on that other side. So they, they drop down there, they cross that draw, and right when they transition from that snow to the other side and cross that, um, there was a little bit of trouble briefly, and then Annie ended up pulling out. She climbed up these cliffs and worked all the way, a long ways across this hillside, going all the way across his face, working back up on the ridge, going across and dropping back down. And after a long, a long time covering a lot of ground, she ended up getting it jumped. And I was hearing her, you know, open up throughout, uh, but she ended up getting it jumped and treeing it. And those other dogs, for whatever reason, they were moving it a lot slower. Like they were hung up in the spot for a while and was trying to sort that out. Uh, they ended up moving out. Well, we had showed up to the tree. With Annie there, she was the only one there, and we showed up there. Uh, it, it was a nice tom. It actually had a, its head was kind of, I don't know what happened to it. It had an injury at some point. Maybe it got uh, 
got hit by a vehicle or something, but his head was like concave and, um, and, and then it had pretty much healed, was almost completely healed up. But, uh, it was nice, Tom. And that client had taken that Tom. Um, we took pictures, you know, for a while, spent, spent quite a bit of time there and got it out, uh, skinned it out, quartered it up, got it in the pack. And I was listening to the other dogs, especially Abel, that train horn. Every every so often, Peter along, and I look on the GPS, they're coming right along that track that he ended on, and open it up every so often, and they ended up coming across. And when they got to about a little bit before where Annie jumped it, they started picking up a lot more speed on the track, and then they crossed the creek, and they came all the way up to the tree. But that was almost three hours later after Annie had treated it. So. It was amazing to me that, um, I mean, I saw she started pulling ahead, but I would never have imagined that she was going to tree that cat three hours before they did. Oh, yeah. Now, was that that really big cat, or was that a different one? I don't know. That that very big cat was the last one or second to last one uh, I had gotten. Um, some of the guides had told me about uh, this cat where this area and like specifically where he works and whatnot. He likes to work along this, this snow line and pretty much everything below is no snow. And so they told me where I could find him. And, and I guess they, they had been after him, you know, for the last four years and when they, they would either be a day behind him or they would find him and turn, turn loose on his track. And he would always take this dogs all through these cliffs. And he told they told me what was going to happen if you end up on him. Like, he's going to try and lose the dogs on his cliffs. And I found his track. And uh, I think I have, you know, parts of the video on my on my uh, YouTube channel, Screaming Eagle Outdoors. Mm-hmm. I, I do have that. And you can even see any trail across the hillside on that on that cat. But uh, they cold trailed it out of ways. And they dropped down. And they crossed over the top of this other ridge. And they moved on out. And then... And they were looping back around to uh, close to the area where I turned loose at. And then I heard him. I could tell when I got jumped. And he tried to lose him through them cliffs. I mean, just dropping elevation like like crazy. Just bombing down these cliffs, going through it. Climb up this other side and popped up trees. And they were just hammered. And that was uh, definitely the biggest mountain lion I've ever seen. And... Uh, Dead, dead or alive, <laughs> it's a monster. So people talk about two hundred pound cats. I can tell you, if there's if there's a two hundred pound cat, it was this one. And I really wish yeah, you would have gotten yeah, a mean, legit weight because this sucker was, was giant. It would have been nice to know the weight because I do know that people all the time overestimate the weight of cats. Like, mm-hmm. it, they're they're just throwing an estimation, so they might have, you know, a solid. 165 pound cat and then thinking it's a 200 pound cat and yeah it's more than likely that is not the case uh this is the biggest cat i've ever i've ever seen and he and he was a hog uh i don't know what he weighed but i i, I do know that a lot people say a lot of the times that oh look at this 200 pound cat and and i know they're not 200 pound cats but i also know this cat was much bigger than those ones Oh yeah, this uh, thing was so huge. It, it would have been it would have been nice to to weigh him, but he he died down in this this draw that was like thornier than heck, like just so 
so bad, so thorny, and it was also a decent hike back up uh, and steep to where the side-by-side was, so there wasn't any getting in a hole, so I had to skin it and quarter it and whatnot, and uh, but he and he was shot shot with a bow. He was Pope and Young. Uh, nice. I, I don't know what the official score ended up being. I know uh, that, that at the time, the green score was right close to um, this would be the green score, but it was right close to the number one world record for Pope and Young. Wow. Uh, but I'll, I'll cool. have to find out on that, you know, what the official score ended up being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big cat regardless. He, he's Pope. Oh, and yeah. This is the cat, like, when you, when you book a hunt and you want, like, the trophy, Tom, this is the cat you want. Yeah, and th- this client, you know, he's, a, he's about my age, and uh, he said he had previously been on four or five mountain lion hunts, and they were all in, in British Columbia. Uh, he hunted over there, I think, four different times, and th- so I think this was his fifth one. But uh, he'd never even taken a cat before. He was in B.C. on several hunts, and he never harvested a cat. Jeez. And he ended he ended up taking this one, and he, he textbook smoked that cat with his bow. I mean, he had perfect shot, and it it flew out of the tree, and it just mm-hmm. dove downhill. You know, it didn't go super far, but it was just getting some downhill momentum and piled mm-hmm. up in that draw and that super thorny. No, and you got a pretty cool video of it. Um, like you said up on your YouTube channel, Screaming Eagle Outdoors. Yeah, but people can actually see that cat. And granted. I know we talked about it before and you said he's a little darker looking because it was muddy, but I think, you know, even cleaned up, he's probably still a hair on the darker side. Just the pictures that you showed me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have one picture where he doesn't look quite as dark cause I, but yeah, the one picture where he's standing up and holding it, mm-hmm. it looks like a lot of people think it's a fake cat, but I had to drag it out of that draw and got it like super muddy, dirty and everything. And, this guy's holding it up and it looks like, you know, almost black. Like it's so dark from all the mud on it. Uh, yeah. But we had to get it out of that draw so we can actually get a picture of him holding it up. But he was a toad, that's for sure. Definitely. So how was your bear season? I know we talked in the spring, like I said, and so I really haven't heard about your bear season. Yeah, bear season was phenomenal. I mean, so me, me personally, I mean, so we do, we were doing like, we were, doing some hound hunting and then doing some bait hunting. And if I remember correctly, I'm pretty positive. I actually didn't have a single client take a bear off of a bait. And I think that it just happened to be that when I would take them hound hunting, you know, they would end up getting a bear with the dogs before they had a chance at one uh, sitting in the blind. So we would do it, put them in the blind in their evening hunt or a tree stand for the evening hunt. And then, uh, the other guide and I that both had hounds, uh, we would take our clients out on a morning hunt with the dogs. And it, it just happened that no, none of my clients got one sitting off of bait. We we got all of them with the dogs. And, uh, Very cool. Yeah, put up put up a lot of a lot of bears. It was nice to hunt different terrain, different country than what it is up in North Idaho. It's completely different over there. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice to have that diversity and be able to, hunt a different area put the dogs through different different you know types of terrain oh yeah definitely what percentage would you say of like color phase versus black bears do you have if i'm not mistaken idaho has the highest percentage of color phase bears in the nation uh over there in north idaho we have uh, 
I can't think of a percentage off the top of my head, but it's well over 50%. You know, the majority of the bears you're going to see. I think I maybe saw a couple black ones like during the season. The majority of them are color phase, either a dark chocolate or just a standard chocolate or a blondish in color or cinnamon. We have a lot of color phase bears. Mm-hmm. And some people specifically come hunting over here or with us because of the fact that they want a color phase bear. We had these guys uh or this husband and wife i believe they were from west virginia they have shot bears and they said like every single one they've ever gotten has been solid black and if you're lucky you'll get something with a white patch on his chest if you're lucky but um they just always got black ones when they wanted a color phase bear so yeah there's definitely a lot of them over here that's been my experience i think i've seen two pictures that they're supposedly in pennsylvania and they're color face bear, but otherwise, every bear I've ever seen, every bear I've ever seen harvested on the East Coast, yeah. is black. And like you said, you might get some white, but that is the closest thing to color as you're gonna get. Yeah, that's interesting. I I, I would uh it'd be nice to maybe do some research and figure out exactly what it is that that has changed that. But uh, I do know, g- generally speaking, our bears are definitely a lot leaner. Over here, like you have Pennsylvania and several other states where they just have some some big tanks, but uh, they also have a lot of agricultural mm-hmm. land, and you might have a big corn-fed bear that just becomes massive, six hundred plus pounds. Yeah, and they just don't let us run dogs. So I would say the average bear I tree, you know, is about one hundred sixty pounds. We still do get big bears, but. Our big bear and a big bear over there are two totally different things. I assume a big part of that is because of the rugged terrain and mountains we have, one, and two, because of our long, harsh winters. So they have to spend a great period of time hibernating, and then they're they're burning up a lot of their fat reserves that they built up in the fall. So they just don't have the opportunity to to grow i know that's basically the case with north carolina coastal north carolina from where the guys i've talked to is how the big bears are down there is feeding off corn and peanuts and whatever but i know in pa we get a lot of big bears because up until like last year we've had very limited season not allowed to use bait not allowed to use hounds so it's all basically tree stand opportunistic hunting or drives so just different management. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're getting bears that are able to mature and they obviously have different genetics and their, their food sources yeah, and everything. I mean, I've shot a 30, I think it was right at 30 year old sow. I was about to say, I knew that one sow was, was real old. 18 year old boar, 30 year old sow, 16 year old boar, uh, 14 year old, and then, you know, five, six, nine, nine year olds. But uh so they it, it's amazing because of the opportunity that we have for bear hunting whether with dogs or bait hunting uh that there still are bears of that age out here yeah definitely i, I guess i killed my bear right after right after i met you I, I yes guess. Yeah. yeah um he, he was like three so he wasn't very old the average age of a mountain lion in idaho is uh they don't live as long as a bear, from what I understand. But the average age of one that's harvested is uh, pretty pretty young. I believe it. Yeah, we got fairly long. I mean, a really long season. Most of the time, people only go out 
when there's snow on the ground, but we have uh, basically like nine months out of the year that you can harvest a mountain lion in Idaho or in certain units. Wow. I didn't realize it was that long. It's really long. It's not open like during rifle season um, for like elk hunting that they have it closed down then. But uh, it opens back up in November and it's like November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June, and July. Yeah. Oh, wow. I know you said you've treated some incidentally while you're bear hunting and stuff. I just didn't realize like season was actually still in at that point. Yeah, it's, st- it's still open. It, uh, and then you, yeah, you get incidental trees. Uh, I, I've never taken one when it wasn't winter. If I'm yeah. hunting myself, I would prefer to just watch the dogs work, whether I'm bear hunting or cat hunting. If I'm going by myself, I get just as much enjoyment out of watching the dogs and then just turning it loose and I'll have to start doing that more. I think I made a couple of videos that made it up on my uh, recent YouTube channel, but um, I'll definitely get into more of that, you know, uh, tree and free videos and some harvesting stuff yeah. and a variety of different things, mostly hounds, but I will probably have some, of uh, some packing type videos and whatnot. Good deal. I look forward to seeing it. Well, I won't hold you up. I know you're sitting on the long side of the road. Because, yeah. uh, you had a busy yeah, day. Yeah, just a, and you just pulled over yeah, to talk cramming, to me. Cramming to get everything done. Um, it's been good chat with you. That's for sure. I really appreciate it, Brian. Like I said, we're definitely gonna have to get together and do some yeah, more hunting. Absolutely. I've had fun when you've come this way, and one of these days, I definitely want to get out there. Awesome. Well, uh, it was good talking to you, Ben, and uh, we'll keep in touch and. I'm sure we'll be in another doing another one of these here in the near future. Oh, I'm sure. So, thank you very much. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Tree Talking Media. And until next time, keep them talking in the timber. <laughs>